Welcome to the Pin to Profit Podcast. We cover everything from writing captivating prose to grammar to marketing tips, tricks, and insider advice to turn your passion for writing into cold, hard cash. Get ready to skyrocket your book sales and your audience with our guidance. Buckle up because you're going on a rollicking ride through the realm of writing riches because the Pin to Profit Podcast starts now. All right, and we are live. Welcome back again, all you Hemingway hopefuls and aspiring Austins to yet again, another installment of the Pen to Profit podcast. I am your friendly neighborhood host and copy editor, Ray Evans, and I am joined today with a very, very special guest. <clears throat> Michelle DiFilippo is the owner of 1106 Design, and she has over 50 years of experience in the publishing industry. From manuscript to market, 1106 Design serves authors who want traditional publisher quality for their self-published books without sacrificing their vision, rights, and royalties in return. Expert editing, book cover and interior design, indexing, ebook formatting, author websites, and with convenient project management, ensure a stress-free process and professional results. Wow, that is, that's got, kind of feels like a, your company provides like a turnkey service there. So before we get started, Michelle, did, would you want to introduce yourself to the audience, say hello, and also can you tell us uh, what your favorite book is and why? Oh gosh. Uh, well, as you you pretty you introduced me pretty well right there. My name is Michelle D. Filippo, and I have uh, <clears throat> right now I'm the owner of Eleven O Six Design. But I've basically been working in one aspect of publishing or another for since 1972. Started out in New York at Crown Publishers when they were just a baby publisher. And they were located on Park Avenue South in New York in some dumpy office building, and. Um, you know, after that, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and had every expectation of being able to continue working in publishing or some aspect of graphic design. And I found out that I couldn't uh, make more than minimum wage in Phoenix. So I decided to open up a typesetting company. And I did that for quite a long time, 13, 14 years. Um, and then I, my claim to fame is that I was put out of business by Steve Jobs when he invented the Macintosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> And he basically put every typesetting business in on the planet out of business by by that one single invention. Oh, geez. I hope you're not offended that I'm actually on a, a Mac computer right now. Uh, no, as, so, as we're so talking am about. I. <laughs> so am I. I mean, it's we can't. Uh, you know, they've changed a lot since the early days, but uh, you know, we owned uh, typesetting equipment that was unbelievably expensive it was the size of a refrigerator and it cost thirty thousand dollars to to buy a typesetting machine <laughs> and all of a sudden we had no customers so that was interesting <laughs> so um, i was curious um so it sounds like a 1106 design is really uh geared towards like uh helping and empowering uh you know independent and self-publishing authors so could you walk me through uh you just kind of gave me a little bit of your uh, background right there but could you walk me through what inspires you to uh start the company and what's your and what also inspires you to create this philosophy of you know the authors that you work with are retaining full rights and creative control over their works well, I wish I could take credit for inventing that, but I but I can't. I started um, 1106 Design in 2001. Okay. It was a time when I was refocusing uh, other parts of my my personal life, and I happened to run into get a brochure from the Arizona Book Publishing Association, and I thought, oh, what's that all about? So I started going to meetings, 
and found out uh, just coincidentally at about that same time, Amazon and self-publishing were just beginning to be known as as a thing before before Amazon and before print on demand publishing it wasn't possible for people to uh, publish a book they they didn't have the equipment or the skills or the know-how or the ability to distribute a book right so uh it was just a, a timely coincidence that that 1106 design started at that time now in the beginning self-publishing the the original intent and the expectation for self-publishing was that the author would be the publisher. The author would assume all the roles that a publisher would normally assume, hire experts to produce the book, uh, actually put out a good book and retain complete control of the rights and, and the, the payment system and the distribution and make all the decisions. Over time, that became a little bit more complicated um, as different sorts of companies came into the space. And the reason I'm doing podcasting right now is because it, it's. I think it's time for everybody to remember that the author should be able to publish a book without a publisher, if they so choose, and that it is possible to get traditional publisher quality without, without using a publisher and without sharing their revenue with anyone else. Oh wow! Awesome. So, um, so I was a little bit curious. Uh, for any listeners who might not know, uh, I guess like from the background, like what the uh, the costs are involved. Uh, could you walk us through what it costs to uh, produce a book to traditional book publisher standards? Sure. Well, uh, the way the only way to produce a book to traditional publishing standards is to hire people who know how to do that. And mm -hmm. I've been blessed to have a team of editors and designers and proofreaders and ebook formatters who do just that. They've all come up through the ranks of traditional publishing, and and so we do the job the way we were trained to do it, not the way it's often uh, offered to uh, authors now. And, and so as far as cost goes, it really depends on the book. We've worked on everything from 60-page booklets to, to 600, 800-page biographies of Winston Churchill. So it, it just depends on, on the length of the book, the, the services that the author needs. We, we don't force authors into packages. You know, sometimes you'll go online and you'll see packages from self-publishing companies. We handle it all a la carte. We have a conversation with the author. We find out what services they need, and then we offer a proposal based on that. Ah, I see. Um, so I guess I'm just trying to, you know, get like what's like an average for the, for like a for like a self-publishing book. I believe uh, last time I checked for my research, uh, the average novel is around something like seventy thousand words. So let's say let's I don't know, let's pretend that let's go into a little imaginary scenario. Let's pretend I'm like a I'm a fiction author. I have like a, a approximately seventy two thousand word uh, manuscript that I'm looking to get uh, self published myself. So let's say if I went to like a, a traditional publishing house, uh, based off of your experience, approximately how much would that cost? And uh, and if I were to take my my seventy two thousand approximately uh, word manuscript to a eleven oh six design, about how much would it cost uh, to basically do the whole uh, editing, uh, book cover, marketing, and everything to get that ma that raw manuscript to be mm -hmm. a completely ready published book to go, ready to go out oh. the door. Okay, well, a traditional publisher, as you know, pays the expenses to produce the book. That was the traditional publishing model for 100 years. The publisher would pay the expenses to the produce the book. The author wouldn't have to pay anything. 
And in return for that investment, the publisher then would take the lion's share of the payments when a book was sold and the author would get a small amount called a royalty. That was the traditional publishing model forever. Um, Self-publishing, when it was originally invented and came out, the idea was that the author would invest in all the services to produce the book and keep 100% of the revenue from book sales, not just a royalty. So that's the model we follow. Um, so for a 70,000 word novel, full service, uh, starting with manuscript editing and going all the way through to cover design, interior typesetting, proofreading, um, ebook formatting, distribution setup, and answering all the questions all along the way, probably about 9,000. Got it. Okay. Yeah, just try, I was just trying to, you know, wrap my head around what like a, like a general average, like ballpark figure would be. Got it. So I guess uh, my next question would be is, um, I think you've kind of touched on this a little bit already. Um, how does the company maintain uh, traditional publisher quality uh, while offering the flexibility and uh, individuality of self-publishing? I know you did just mention that, uh, you know, you work with a lot of professionals who come from the industry, though. So. Right. Um, and, and that's fine. I mean, it, the reason people self-publish is because they do want to do things in their own way. They they do have a voice and they do have a vision for what their book should be. And, and we work with them. We collaborate with them. If they ask for something that's really off the wall, we'll give them our best advice and, you know, tell them that's really not a good idea, right? But basically, we we are working for the author and we will do the very best job that they allow us to do. Gotcha. Um, so I guess my next question I wanted to ask is, what would you say, uh, based off of your background and you know, your extensive experience, what is the most critical decision that an author must make when they're choosing to self-publish uh, their own story? Okay, I think the most critical decision is what they intend to do next, right? Is the book for them a hobby that they're going to share mostly with their friends and family? Or is it a business? And are they going to sell the book and ask other people to turn over their hard-earned money in return for that book? And that the choice between those two options really should determine the direction that they take in terms of the kinds of services, the level of services that they buy. Um, there's a lot of confusion about that. Okay. Sometimes people want to sell their book, but then they'll go ahead and they'll look for the cheapest services they can find. And and that's where the that's where the trouble starts. <clears throat> because cheap services are cheap for a reason. <clears throat> Excuse me. My voice is going. <clears throat> so the important thing is don't mix approaches. If it's a hobby, fine. You know, do do what you can afford to do. But if it's a business, then you have a responsibility to produce a good book for the people who are going to buy it from you. Because if you don't, first of all, they're going to know. And second of all, they may jump online and write a bad review. And once that starts happening, then you're finished. You've wasted every dollar you've spent. Oh, absolutely. I, I, want, I 110% agree with that. And if you're listening right now, I suggest you rewind uh, back about 20 seconds and listen to what Michelle just said again. All right. That, I thought that was, a, like a very, that was a very good point you made with that. And don't lose your voice right now because I'm pretty sure you got at least another 30 or 40 uh, value bombs that uh, you're going to drop <laughs> during our interview today. So your voice has to hang in there for at least another like 20 to 35 minutes. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. All right, perfect. Okay, so I wanted to kind of uh, 
I was, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. And I think that sometimes, especially with a lot of the, uh, the authors that I've worked with, I feel that uh, some people kind of uh, overlook or downplay uh, like design and aesthetics. My personal opinion is is that design and aesthetics, it's a form of marketing in and of itself. So I guess what I wanted to ask you and also for the audience is, what would you say are maybe two or three things that you think that uh, every author needs to know about uh, interior page design? Okay, well, I, I actually like what you said there because marketing, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say to me that I can't. I can't pay for your services because I have to allocate more money to marketing. And that's really putting the cart before the horse, right? Mm -hmm. Because marketing can make people look at your book, but the product is what's going to hold their attention once they find your book. So the design and the typesetting and, and the look of the book is what's going to make them stop and learn more and decide whether or not to buy it. So um, uh, you really shouldn't skimp in that regard. Sometimes you'll hear online that people just put a lot put uh, a lot of attention on the cover. But the interior of the book is also important uh, because that's the reading experience that you're going to give to your customer. Um, the word typesetting is actually falling out of use. People don't even know what it means anymore. You'll hear the word formatting a lot. And you'll hear authors talk about how they, they formatted their own manuscript in Microsoft Word or some other software program, or they dumped it into an automated system and what popped out the other end looked something like a book. But that's not the way a real book is made. And so what book designers and typesetters do is they attend to a thousand different details to make sure that those pages and the book are easy to navigate and that they're easy to read and that they don't tire the eyes of the reader. So uh, it's very important to also invest in interior design and typesetting if you're going to do it right. Uh, exactly. And it's funny because, yeah, I was just thinking when you said it, like, I don't think I've ever heard like an author refer to it as typesetting. Um, mm -hmm. I, well, I am younger than you. I do uh, remember I used to have a typewriter when I was a kid. So I know a little <laughs> bit uh, about typesetting. <clears throat> well, what what typesetters do is is um, they they attend to we attend to tiny little spacing details that you wouldn't even think about. And actually, it's it's difficult to sell typesetting because the final product is in it's invisible. Good typesetting is invisible because you don't see all the uh, uneven spacing and paragraph that paragraph returns in the middle of a line or tab indents that don't match and all of those things create a beautiful book page when you attend to those details and what what enough enough indie publishers self-publishers don't do is compare what they may have done in word to a book put out by a major publisher that they might find in a bookstore in a library if you were op to open up those pages side by side you would absolutely immediately see the difference in what typesetting makes oh wow so that that was another See there, there we go with another value bomb right there. Uh, you don't want to overlook the uh, the importance of your typesetting. It's like going to a restaurant. It's like the aesthetics, uh, like the colors and like the design and the layout of everything. And yeah, that is very important. So um, I guess still sticking on uh, like aesthetics. Uh, you did uh, mention book cover, so I actually did want to actually touch on that too. Um, what would you say uh, based off of you know your experience? What do you 
like one or two, what do you say that like the one or the two most important things uh, that you think every author needs to know about uh, designing an effective book cover? Okay. Well, the number one advice I would give is please don't do it yourself. There's a, there's a lot of that in the, in the, in the space. And, you know, 30 years ago, I, I went to a webinar in New York, a seminar in New York by a publishing expert at the time. His, his name was Frank Romano. And, and this was when, uh, is probably more than more like 40 years ago, actually, because my son was two at the time. Um, and he said, with the invention of word processing and personal computers, it was going to be very difficult to sell professional graphic design because everyone would think that they had now had the tools on their desktop to do it themselves. And he was so right about that. Um, but the tools are just tools. And it's not the same as having the training and the experience of, of being a, a full-fledged professional designer. There's so much that goes into a book cover that people don't realize. Um, it starts with research, right? Your book has to look like what it is. A cookbook looks different than a history book. A, a, a romance novel looks different than a murder mystery. Um, a college textbook looks different than than a children's book. You have to know that. You have to design the cover so that it fits what the book actually is. It has to be crafted type back to typesetting again. It has to be crafted well with with the typography, with the size and the location and the boldness or the lightness of of the type fonts. That all goes together in a, in an aesthetic way, so that people look at that book cover. They access the most important information first, and it attracts them. Right? We like things that attract our eye. So. Um, my advice would always be to hire an experienced book cover designer and not skimp in that area either. Yeah, I totally agree. I also wanted to add to that. Um, I actually always, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually did uh, an earlier podcast episode, I think it was episode number six, I'll include it in the show notes um, about uh, about book covers. And I also think it's a pretty good idea that whatever your genre is, you should probably go on to like Amazon or Barnes and Noble, look at some of the uh, the best selling or most popular highly rated books in that genre to see if you can find any, uh, how it's like commonalities or similarities uh, regarding images that are used, colors and fonts to kind of see what uh, people are already kind of gravitating towards. Like you had mentioned, uh, the whole point of the cover is to attract people. And, you know, if, and if those books that are already highly rated and selling well, uh, they, there's probably some, you probably find some commonalities that you don't want to necessarily, I don't want to say imitate, but at least like emulate or try to inspire you. So when you find that, uh, that designer to help you do the cover, you can tell them some general ideas you have. And then that designer can help kind of like, you know, put your own original spin on it and basically make it your own in a sense. I actually say all of that in one form or another when I'm talking <laughs> to authors. It is really important, right? Because the question comes up, well, you know, you should design what the market is going to like. Well, how we, how do we know what the market likes? Well, we, we can look at what they're buying, look at the best, best sellers. And if you, if there's another reason to do it as well is if your cover is designed, if you're an indie publisher and basically unknown, if your cover is as well crafted as the best selling covers, um, it it will hold up to scrutiny, right? Even when people type in your title, Amazon is not just going to show your book. They're going to show your book alongside those bestsellers because they want to sell books. So if your book looks self-published, it doesn't look like it fits in with that group of bestsellers. 
now you're standing out for all the wrong reasons and people are going to see risk instead of instead of seeing your good book they're going to say oh that looks like a self-published book i think i'll pass and buy the bestseller instead oh yeah totally agree with that it's funny you mentioned that because um it wasn't it was a couple of days ago i was actually um uh, in a facebook group uh for like self-published authors and a gentleman he had uh put up like a cover of like a book he was writing and i believe or he had written rather uh it was about it was something about a uh a group of people trapped in a cave with some sort of like giant carnivorous spiders and the <laughs> cover like i don't i don't want to like offend the guy. i don't i don't think he's listening i don't want to offend him but it kind of looked like a sock puppet with like googly eyes and little like uh pipe cleaners coming out of the top of it meant to represent spider legs and it, it looked it looked like a like i don't know like jim henson was like drunk one day and was trying to make a muppet it, it looked it looked horrible it might have been a great book but Based off of that cover, like the uh, the brown sock puppet with with the pipe cleaners glued to it, I, w- I wouldn't buy that. Like, and I told him in the comments, I, I think that's you know you probably should try to find like an actual designer to you know help you do that. And it's funny that uh, you had mentioned um, back at that seminar that uh, that Mr. Romano was uh, saying that now that everyone had word, uh, they were going to try to do it themselves. Because fast forward to 2024 when we're recording this, there's um. There's various AI programs like Stable Diffusion, where you can just literally type in uh, a prompt. Like that guy could have typed in uh, a cave, a uh, dark, misty cave with like carnivorous spiders with glowing red eyes and like drool coming out of their mouths. And it can produce something that looks somewhat decent some of the time. But I still think that, like had you had mentioned that, you definitely want to have that human connection with like an author who could probably better represent, you know, your work than like an AI program, which has been trained on tens of thousands of images, because that's when you get down to that's really what AI is. It's just it's trained on stuff that exists already. And that's why I always suggest that you probably shouldn't do uh, like an AI cover, because it's not really creative. It's kind of just imitative in a sense of, of whatever data set that it was trained on. Well, yeah, and I actually say that to my to my customers whenever I get a chance is that if if and that's kind of getting back to what I said before about the difference between approaching the, the your book publishing project as a hobbyist or as or mm-hmm. as a business, right? Because a hobbyist will go out and say, "Where can I find the cheapest services? Where can I find uh, services for the price that I want to spend for the amount of money I want to spend?" A business person, on the other hand, will will call his deputy into the room and say, "Where? Do, who does this the best?" find them, tell me how much it's going to cost, and then we'll decide if we're going to do it or not. So it's just two mm-hmm. different mindsets. Exactly. I think that was a, that's another, I think it's another value bomb we have right there. I, I've lost count of all the ones that you dropped in the last uh, 20 minutes we've been talking. But like you said, you know, <clears throat> it's about approaching it, approaching your, uh, like your writing with like that, that business mentality, not that you're quote unquote spending money, but that rather mm-hmm. you're making an investment uh, in your work and uh, in your bibliography, in your catalog, in your career. So I think that's another, you know, a really good point you made there. Um, but staying on cover design, uh, you no, know, we have been talking about, uh, you know, we've been extolling the virtues of cover designers. So I guess for anyone who's listening right now and who's been who agrees with what we've been saying and like, all right, I got to get a cover designer. Uh, what steps or advice could you give uh, any author who's listening to find like a, a qualified cover designer? Okay, that that's a really good question, and and I think 
the cover you just described from 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 your friend probably originated with a designer who asked the author, what do you want? And then did it, right? But that's really the wrong question. A designer should always ask the author, tell me about your book. What do you want to accomplish? You know, and of course the author can have input into the into the final cover design, but the cover should always be based on who's your audience, what do you want to accomplish, what do you think will attract them, and let's go look and see what other books of that type, like we talked about, look like online. What are what are the major publishers doing in that genre right now? Because you want your book to look contemporary and not like something that you just thought up and put out there. So. Uh, yeah. As far as finding a designer, mm -hmm. most designers have uh, portfolios online now, which is remarkably convenient. I mean, I can remember walking around New York with my leather portfolio <laughs> to, sh to show my work around. And fortunately, it's it's not necessary anymore. But what I would do is if you if you think you found a designer whose work looks good to you, there, there are some things that you can look at. The first thing is to look at the variety of the covers. Some some designers you'll find their all of their work looks alike. It could almost be the same book with slightly different variations, the same design. So you want to find a designer who knows how to create unique and original covers for every book that they produce. But then you also want to open up the website of major publishers and look at the work side by side. And and that will be, I promise you, will be an eye-opener. Right. Because sometimes a design that looks good when you're looking at it only in isolation suddenly doesn't look so good when you compare it to what the major publishers are doing. So that will give you some insight into what level that designer is is at. You should also ask questions of the designer. Right. Um, first of all, what does the book cover cost? How do you charge for revisions? How many revisions are included in the price? The last thing you want is for a designer to, to disappear on you in the middle of the job because you're making more revisions than they than they wanted to handle. Um, you want to ask them for their turnaround time. You want to ask, here's an important one. You want to make sure that they can complete the full cover files that are required by the printer. And that means making the, the full cover in one piece, back cover, spine, front cover. If you were to lay a book on the table face down, you'll see the cover is actually in one piece. We hear from authors all the time who went to Fiverr to find a book cover designer, and they do just the front. Or maybe they'll do just the front and the back, but they don't know what a spine is, they don't know what a barcode is, they don't know how to put the files together. And then, then the author is frantic because they didn't expect to have that problem. <laughs> So that that's something that you should probably ask for right up front. Do you build the cover? Are you experienced building the cover files for KDP and Ingram Spark, the two print-on-demand printers? And if not, uh, move on, <laughs> because you're going to buy yourself a whole lot of headaches if if they don't know what they're doing. Ooh, that was a whole lot of uh, good points. And it's funny you mentioned Fiverr there. Kind of you know goes back again to what uh, you had mentioned a couple of times about uh, you know people who are looking at people who are hobbyists versus, you know, uh, I guess people who are trying to make a career as a writer uh, there again. And that was a lot of good questions there. And I definitely think if you're looking for, if you were wondering how to find like a cover designer, you should definitely rewind the last like 20 to 30 seconds and write all of those down. Uh, so so you can actually ask those questions of any designers that you do find. Um, that was a whole lot of talk about uh, aesthetics and design right there. So 
kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit. <clears throat> so I wanted to know if you could tell me, uh, so you said you've been running 1106 design since uh, about 2001. Is that right? Yeah. 2001. Okay. So about 23 years. So, so pretty much at this point, the company would be old enough to graduate from college. So <laughs> I would say based off of, from your perspective and your experience, having worked with, I'd imagine probably thousands of authors by this point, uh, what are some of the common challenges uh, that you've seen uh, self-publishing authors facing currently? And how does your company assist uh, those authors in overcoming them? Okay, I think we have two challenges in the self-publishing world today. The, the I think the first challenge is too much information, right? If you go online and you look for any any topic in self-publishing, you're going to get 80,000 returns, right? Nobody's going to read 80,000 articles. And and what do you, what do you do if you read a few articles? You you you'll, you might read the articles that float to the top. Uh, but what if the answer you really needed is is down below there at, at seventy thousand or something? You don't have access to that because you never saw it. Um, so I think we have too much information, and I I hope that that make that makes authors think. Gee, you know, maybe I better find a team of people who have done this for a while and know what they're doing, and they can give me guidance that's personalized based on you know based on the needs of me and my publishing goals and my book. The, the other problem that I see in the marketplace right now, which makes me very sad, and that is there's, on the one hand, there's too much information. On the other hand, there's too little integrity, right? Authors will find, and that's probably nothing new, but authors will find all kinds of bad advice online from from people who who know better, right? Telling them to mic to use Microsoft Word to format their book, you know, you know, give me two hundred dollars and I'll show you how to format a book in Word. Well, yeah, you know, but but that's really not not the best advice. Like we talked about, you know, there are firms you've seen them. They promise bestsellers. Uh, they're not bestsellers. What they're doing is gaming the system to make your book a category, a bestseller in some obscure category that nobody cares about. <laughs> so you know that's that's just the lack of integrity in, in my opinion. You're telling somebody what you're taking the fondest desire of their heart, which is for their book to be a success, and and you're you're messing with that. And and I just think that's the wrong thing to do. You know another another um, uh, challenge you'll face is some people will promise a hundred percent royalties. Well, that's not true either. If it's a self-publishing company, no company can exist if they paid 100% royalties. How are they paying for uh, the, the rent and the lights and, and the staff that are helping you? So that's not true either. So I guess it's the old adage, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> and you should watch out for that kind of thing. Oh, wow. That was, those are some really good points there. Um, so I guess my next question, I wanted to uh, shift gears again a little bit. Uh, what do you think that uh, authors need to know uh, about editing based off of uh, actual clients that uh, you've worked with uh, in the past? Oh, well, the first thing is that you must have editing, right? As an editor yourself, you you, you know, we we don't see our own mistakes when we write. Absolutely. It abs you, you absolutely have to get the objective eye of someone who hasn't read the manuscript a thousand times, who hasn't poured over it a thousand times. To, to find the mistakes, to find the redundancies, to re to find the things that you didn't quite explain as clearly as you thought, right? Because you know what you meant to say because 
you what you meant to say it, but that doesn't mean that's what's coming across to someone who's reading it for the first time. So absolutely, you must have an objective eye on your book. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's funny, uh, uh, I had mentioned uh, people uh, trying, I don't want to say are, well, some of them are uh, trying to use like uh, like AI to like do their book covers for them. And you mentioned uh, Fiverr earlier. Uh, you know, there's again, there's that that hobbyist and that, I would say like that uh, professional mentality there. Uh, there are even there's programs out like um what are like Grammarly Pro Writing Aid that are kind of these like AI. They're not like spell checkers. They they quote unquote supposedly uh check and correct grammar as well. But yeah, even those programs are like somewhat limited. I've I've tried to use some of them, but you know there's things that they don't. There's mistakes that they don't catch. There's things that they correct that are technically that are technically right, and you know they don't know all the different styles. So it it's funny, you know, like you definitely, like you mentioned, you definitely need like a, an objective, like third party who hasn't seen the book themselves. And they can catch those redundancies. I mean, if you're going, I always suggest that authors do a little bit of self-editing. Like the easiest way to do that is to actually just read your manuscript aloud. And, you know, you can definitely catch some things, but you still need uh, that proofreading and that editing. Not just saying that because that's what I sell. But <laughs> no, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, I'll, I'll share a little story if we ha if we have a minute. One of yeah. our editors, uh, we were working on a cookbook that was uh, designed to for where where people could go to the grocery store and buy a rotisserie chicken and kind of jazz it up a little. It was a cookbook based on using rotisserie chickens for to prepare dinner. Well, on the in the front matter of the book, the author said. Um, it was very clear about saying use use rotisserie chickens, right? This is what the book is about. Yeah. But for each recipe within the book, she just said two or three pounds of chicken. She didn't repeat that it should be cooked chicken. And our our editor found that and probably saved a whole lot of belly aches <laughs> by just finding that one little thing. And and that that's an example of the author. She knew what she meant. She knew it was about rotisserie chicken, but but you need to say that. <laughs> exactly. It's funny you said that she uh, saved belly eggs. She probably also saved a lot of people of food poisoning as well from trying to uh, make those recipes with raw chicken. There. Exactly. Exactly. So, wow, so you guys yeah. are saving lives out here. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And another time, one of our proofreaders f uh, found a character that uh, magically came back to life toward the end of the novel when he had been killed off in an earlier chapter. So... <laughs> Yeah, been an you, evil you twin. <laughs> <laughs> you need that uh, objective eye for sure. Oh, absolutely. And so, um, earlier, um, you had mentioned uh, that eleven oh six design even also helps authors uh, with creating their websites. So, I wanted to know if you could, uh, this, if you could go into uh, the importance of why an author needs a website uh, in today's uh, digital landscape, and how specifically does eleven oh six design uh, help an author? make an effective website for themselves? Oh, sure. Well, how many, think about your own behavior. How many times a day do you go look for something on the web? It's, it is the way that people find information. So if you don't, if a website is the destination for anybody who wants to learn more about your book, maybe, maybe they find you on Amazon or maybe they just heard about the book at a, at a, a an event of some kind and they want to know more about you and they want to know more about the book. Uh, the website is the way to do that. Um, we have a lot of good um, options for people on our website um, that they can decide which way they want to go. I would absolutely say don't make it too busy. 
you know, give people enough information. Maybe you want to give them the first chapter of your book to entice them to buy it. Um, <clears throat> maybe you would give them that first chapter in response for an email address so that you start building a list where you can communicate with them after the after they leave. You definitely want to have a buy button on your website. There's a lot of ways to do that. You 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 can just direct people to the retailers if you want to, uh, but of course the retailers take anywhere from a forty to fifty five percent wholesale discount off the cover price. So that that gets pretty expensive um, after a while. So, you know, having your own buy button, there are ways for you to sell directly from your website. In fact, just this week, Ingram Spark came out with um, a program that that you can put a link on your website to Ingram Spark. Ingram Spark will print the book, ship it to the buyer, and you don't have to lift a finger. Oh, wow. Which I haven't heard of that. <laughs> yeah, it's brand it's brand new. Um, they do have some fees and and the buyer will wind up paying for shipping. So you're gonna have to run the numbers and see whether or not that works for you, whether or not those fees and the shipping would would work out to be more or less than the discount that a retailer would charge. Right. But it's there. It's there as an option. Got it. I see. So um so staying on the website. Um, so you mentioned that you should have uh, <clears throat> like a lead magnet for uh, like a newsletter, something like you said, like a first chapter, or maybe like a short story to entice them to sign up so you can stay in contact with them. Uh, you said you want to have buy links for your existing catalog on there. Uh, what other elements or components uh, should an author have on their website as well besides those? Well, well, definitely a blog, right? And you should actively uh, post an article of some kind. Uh, the frequency is really up to you, but the more you post, the more your website will be seen as um, for SEO, right? So blogs are about SEO, not really so much about what you're saying. It's just so that that blog post pings Google and somebody may see it. And even if they're not necessarily looking for a book at that moment, if they see the subject matter of your book in, a, in, a, in return for a search, uh, they might just go to your website and see, gee, what's that all about? And they might become a customer even though they're not at Amazon. Awesome. And by the way, uh, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what that means, SEO stands for a search engine optimization. It's uh, basically like how Michelle just mentioned, like Google and other search engines, uh, they crawl various websites for keywords. And like she was saying, if you uh, blog relatively consistently and you might end up ranking for certain keywords, so that may mean, that would increase the probability of, of people who are looking for whatever type of books you make uh, potentially find you when they type in, I don't know, uh, hard-boiled detective books or a uh, werewolf romance novels, if you're a werewolf romance novel writer, uh, hypothetically speaking, for example, there. Yeah, one thing, um, we've all seen these terrible articles online that are repetitious and, and they use the same keywords over and over again. Mm -hmm. That. You know, working in the in the writing and publishing industry my whole life, that that really offends me no end. <laughs> yeah, and I but, think um I actually think that uh like the Google algorithm is so smart that they can kind of tell when someone is just doing like a keyword stuffing versus like actual content that was like thought of and like written to actually yeah. be read too. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So all right, so we got so we did go over uh, the insignificance of a website and some of the uh, important components. Oh yeah, also for anyone who's listening, I did actually do a uh, 
a pre, about a month ago, I did uh, an episode on the uh, essential components of a writer website. I will include that link in the uh, show notes below. And so I was curious, um, could you share with us like a, a success story of a previous or even a current client uh, who's used uh, 1106 Design Services and they saw significant success or like our major ROI uh, in their uh, in their publishing? Oh sure. Um, the I would say as a category, the business book writers are do the best. They come back to me for two, three, four books. You know, so that tells me that they're at least making money or breaking even on the book. Otherwise, they wouldn't come back and do it again. Um, I had um, another author who wrote a book about um, dogs in the afterlife, and I talked to her this week, and she she told me she sold five thousand copies. So. Um, that that's really good. And now, if you think about think about that's where our model comes in and and really matters, right? Because if she she's working with us, which means she got a hundred percent of the compensation from uh, that that was possible to get for every book she sold. If she had gone to some self publishing company and they took a dollar or two dollars or three dollars out of her pocket for each of those five thousand copies, then the price that she, you know, she if she thought she was saving money by going to one of those cheaper places, well, she really didn't, did she? So that's that's something to keep in mind too. Um, you know, I have forty percent of our customers come back and write another book, so I think that 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 says something about our service and and their their satisfaction and the fact that their books did do well and didn't just languish. Oh wow, awesome! I had no idea there was such a uh, like a market for. Uh, I guess uh, books about pets in the afterlife. That's interesting. Do you? I'm oh, just curious. Like, do you know what the title of that book is? I, I, I might, I might buy the uh, five thousand first copy of that. Actually, yes, it's called a, it's a, a thousand lifetimes. A thousand lifetimes. Cool. I'm gonna go check that. I'm gonna write that down. And I will check that out later. That, that's right. the one. That's the one thing I like about this job is that we meet all kinds of people writing about all kinds of things. There's no uh, no boredom here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think we are almost all set for today. So just to wrap up, um, if anyone was listening uh, to to our discussion today, and if they were interested in learning a little bit more about how 1106 design and you can uh, specifically help them, uh, where could they reach out to you to, to find out more and maybe, I don't know, schedule like a discovery call or a consultation uh, to see if they're a good fit? Sure. Um, our website is 1106design, singular, not not plural, 1106design.com. Okay. And um, you'll find all kinds of information there. I've got 200 blog posts. I've got every service that we offer described with pricing, because I believe in being completely transparent about that. And there's lots of buttons on the, st on the site to schedule a book discovery call. And um, we'll take good care of you. That's all I, you know, we'd love to learn more about you and your book and possibly work together. All right, perfect. And I will have those uh, links down in the show notes for anyone who uh, wants to take a look and see uh, what the packages are. And I'll reach out to you and the team to see if you are a good fit. All right. So I think we are all set for today. I am your host, Ray Evans. This has been another episode of the Pen to Profit podcast that I was joined today with uh, Michelle DiFilippo. I wanted to thank you for your time and your expertise today and have a great night, everybody. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Ray.
Thanks for tuning in to the Pin to Profit Podcast. If you've enjoyed hanging out with us today, swing by iTunes or your podcast app of choice and leave a rating and write a review. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to get more of this grammar goulash delivered piping hot to your ear holes every week. And if you're looking for more tips, tricks, and free trainings that aren't available anywhere else, click the link in the show notes to join the Author Success Hub Facebook group. It's one part mastermind group and one part creative writing workshop. Except you can attend in your pajamas without judgment. Plus, you'll be mixing it up with fellow authors who are all about that writing and profiting life. Until next time, keep putting pen to paper and turning those pages to profit. Ciao.